Blog Talk Radio. Quiet, please. Welcome to Rex Sykes Movie Beat Conversations with Filmmakers, where we discuss everything film and television. Here on Movie Beat, you'll learn what to do and what not to do when it comes to making movies and TV. And I will talk to everyone behind the scenes and in front of the camera, and I'll provide you with the guests and information you're going to want to have, whether you're a filmmaker or a fan. And so now let's move behind the scenes here at Movie Beat. My guest today is Mr. Fred Fox Jr. And um, I'm going to tell you about him in just a moment. I want to make sure that the chat room is open. And it is. All right. Awesome. So um, welcome to chat. And there we go. All righty. Fred Fox Jr. is a writer producer who wrote the spec script for All in the Family with friend Gary Shandling. And on New Year's Eve, 1975, Fred got a call from Cindy Williams saying she was going to be on a new show called Laverne and Shirley. She asked if he wanted to be her gopher and an apprentice writer. Fred met Gary Marshall and was offered a job that started his lucky run in the sitcom world. He spent a year on Laverne and Shirley, seven unhappy days as a writer, producer, and co-show runner with Brian Levent the last two seasons. Fred wrote the infamous Hollywood Three episode that ended up starting the Jump the Shark phenomenon. The term got into the Oxford Dictionary of English and is still used today. He was on Happy Days when Robin Williams made his sitcom debut in 1978 on the Mork from Ork episode, where at the run-through, Robin blew everyone away. Guest actors aren't supposed to ad-lib, but Robin did and left everyone incredulous. That appearance and one other led to the hit series Mork and Mindy, and his incredible career. After Happy Days, Fred wrote and produced for Webster, It's Your Move, He's the Mayor, and the new Leave it to Beaver. In 1988, he co-created My Secret Identity with Brian Levent, a half-hour comedy action starring Jerry O'Connell and Derek McGrath, which won an international Emmy for Outstanding Program for Children and Young Adults. In 1990, he joined the hit show Family Matters as a writer, co-executive producer, for eight seasons. Fred has acted and written songs for television. He's also scripted films, doing a rewrite on The Flintstones, directed by Brian Levant, and he co-wrote with Dave Duklin, uh, Gary Mantier, and Steve Langford, Too Good to Be True for Ned Tannen. Uh, Too Good to Be True for Ned Tannen. Ned produced The Breakfast Club and 16 Candles, and as president of Universal Greenlit, American Graffiti. He stays busy with speaking issues and working on television and film projects. So um, help me. I'm going to welcome my guest. Fred, how are you doing today? Uh, great. Hi, everyone. Hi, Rex. Great to be here. Thank you. So for those listening just and who might have heard, we had a little uh, shakeup with the uh, production. So this is actually take two, but we're going to kind of begin again from the top. Fred, it's so good to have you here today and have you back here today and that we were able to, to get this work taken. Okay, um, good to be back. Thank you. I'm glad. So um, let's just start with the how did you get involved in in show business um, to, to the prior to writing your spec script with All in the Family? Uh, let's see. Um, to preface it, uh, my father was a writer, a uh, comedy writer, uh, he wrote for Bob Hope, uh, George Burns, Jackie Gleason, Lucille Ball, Red Skelton, Andy Griffith, among others. And um, just remember as a little kid, I was so excited and 
happy for dad that he was in the business. But strangely, it just never entered my mind I would um, end up in it. Um, I was in the business. I uh, went to Birmingham High School in the Valley. Um, I had some interesting classmates, uh, Sally Field, Cindy Williams, uh, Mike Obitz. Uh, Robert Finkelstein uh, ended up a very successful entertainment lawyer that handles the Groucho Marx and Frank Sinatra estates. Uh, Lee Margulies, who was with the L.A. Times for um, many years, and as I mentioned, Mike Obitz. Um, so I uh, went to UC Santa Barbara, majored in history, minored in anthropology, um, having no idea what I wanted to do when I grew up. Um, uh, when I was at Santa Barbara one um, summer, um, I got an interview for a job um, through my father, and I ended up being a stagehand, which was my really first introduction to the business. I would call in every day and was told what shows to work. I'd either be a, um, a grip, a prop person, or electrician, and I was always fearful of getting an electrician call because I thought I'd zap somebody, but <laughs> it all worked out. But it gave me, you know, it gave me a chance to see, you know, how production was and uh, was, you know, a lot of fun. Um, and then, as you mentioned, in 1974, I took a comedy class at UCLA Extension. A writer named Ron Carver was the teacher. There's a young man that was very very funny. He was working for uh, Dentsu Advertising, which is a large advertising company worldwide. And we hit it off, and we decided we'd write a spec all in the family. And um, my father's agent at the time, Sylvia Hirsch, was very nice and submitted it to the producers. And it was the, the waiting period that I think we've all gone through. And, you know, you're worried that it might, you know, be rejected or laughed at or not in a good way. Um, so we finally heard back, and we had some very funny stuff where their, uh, the episodes were committed for the season. So we thought, wait, well, hey, maybe it's just a form letter. Um, and as you said, the gentleman I wrote it with is Gary Shanling, who you know obviously went on to do very, very funny, funny person. And then the first, I guess, kind of real show business job um, was a game show on ABC called The Girl in My Life. And the premise of the show is you would – takes ask someone if they wanted to see the show and then you would surprise the young lady in the audience and they get a wonderful gift like a used Volkswagen which was very exciting um and it got uh Gary Shannon interviewed there and we worked together for a while and then he left to pursue his writing career and I was glad he left because he did an you know had a great career and a great great guy indeed well it, it, this is this is all fascinating and what uh, uh, a cachet of incredible talent that both you and your father uh, have worked for and with. I mean, it's just truly, truly stunning and amazing. Oh, well, and you know, a lot of fun. Oh, I'm sorry, a call's coming through. Do you mind if I get it? No, I'm just kidding. Um, <laughs> so, you know, we just, I, you know, just, I was again lucky and, you know, you work hard, but it's just, you know, I look back and you know, very fortunate because, as I mentioned earlier, there's so many talented people that never, um, you know, never get a job and having no idea and being in the business world for five or six years before the entertainment business was not as much fun but interesting. I think I learned things that help, you know, as a writer, producer. 
Well, let me ask you this, because because from that spec script to being, you know, hired on, you know, as a writer, what's it like to get into one, the writer's room and work with other writers for, you know, creating television? And and do you think it's changed much or evolved much or um, oh, yeah, getting in today is different? I mean, I think, yeah, it's changed drastically. Just um just a little background, how I got in. Um, I think you mentioned I got a call from Cindy Williams, New Year's Eve 75, saying she was doing the show called Laverne and Shirley. It hadn't aired yet, um, and would be in, if I'd be interested in being a gopher and uh, apprentice writer. And when Cindy left for the day, I could go to the writer's room. So she got me a meeting with uh, Gary Marshall. Um, and the first thing he said when I walked in to meet with him was, so you're Freddie Fox's kid, and they had, when Gary and his partner Jerry Belson were starting out, um, they're on the Joy Bishop show, and Dad was there too. And Dad was very, what Gary said, you know, very supportive. Um, and he said, "No, Fred, I know you want to write." And I was kind of taken aback because I wasn't sure I wanted to. But he said, "You know, right now I just want Cindy to be able to concentrate on the show, and um, you know, if she needs her dry cleaning picked up or any errands, you know, just make sure you know she's happy." And then when she left the set for the day, I was able to go to the writer's room, which was just an incredible, unique, kind of initially terrifying um, experience. Um, And I think Gary was very smart. When um, I started out, um, and we'd be doing a rewrite on the script, whether we were talking, you know, story changes or getting new jokes, sometimes we'd spend 45 minutes on a joke. at that time, if you were the new guy or new gal, you would write a joke down, hand it to one of the real writers. They would pitch it. If it bombed, you know, they're very nice and they'd say, hey, it was the new guys. But if it got a laugh, they'd say, oh, you know, that was Fred's. Um, and that, you know, maybe after a couple weeks, you know, I could, you know, just you know, pitch out something. But you'd hear horror stories on other shows where new writers were just starting. They would pitch a joke and... God, they'd just be ridiculed, you know, the, the people would say, oh, you think that's funny? So um, Gary just had a very kind of warm and welcoming um, vibe, and his motto was, life is more important than show business, and he was just such an incredible mentor. Wow. He started so many careers. Yes. Wow. Well, I mean, it, it, it is true, and yet when you're – I think that the the easiest thing to do – uh, for I know I did for you know uh, people pursuing a, a career in show business is to forget that life is more important than show business. Yeah, true, true. You know, we, um, yeah, it, it's so tough, and I think for you know our writers and actors out there, one of the, the key things is is obviously patient, patience. Um, if you want to be a writer. You know, you hear this all the time, but if you want to be a writer, write. And, I, you know, I've run into people say, you know, they want to be a writer and, um, you know, they haven't written anything. And we all know how tough it is to face that, that blank page. And um, Hemingway once said, there's nothing to write. And all you do is sit down at a typewriter and bleed. I mean, it's, you know, it's painful. Um, but, you know, the key, the key is just, you know, get started, write, um, if you want to write, for example, if you want to write a sitcom, I mean, this, this sounds like kind of obvious advice, but before you attempt it, you know, 
watch obviously you know watch some of your favorite sitcoms for example if you want to write sitcoms watch sitcoms um there's you know websites that have scripts um just kind of a example of friend it's a long story but a friend of mine had a friend who had a friend and um had a you know great idea f- for a sitcom and the person decided to you know write an episode and i i read it and it was just basically you know the the format was wrong there you know, it was just kind of a series of sketches and not a solid story. I, through Gary, always believe in a, you know, the first thing is a solid story and, you, you know, you drive to it. Um, but this is kind of all over the place. So, you know, you, you know, pay dues and, you know, you're going to, you know, read books and just, you know, just keep writing. Um, also, uh, you know, same thing for, for an actor, you know, the patient's, um, uh, this young lady who was successful in New York um, came back here to get back. She'd taken a break from the business and came back here to um, get back in the business. And she would get, you know, dressed up every day and go to studios and networks to drop off her resume at um, casting directors. And how she got on the lot all the time, I'm not sure. But and <laughs> I'm kind of rambling. But another important thing, it's it's hard. I think you can be very intelligent and um, smart. I mean, same thing. But in showbiz, it's hard to know sometimes who's legit, who's full of you know what. And real, there's um, you have if you can, you know, try to um, check out the per- like. For example, say you write a script and someone says, "Oh, this is great. I'll um, you know, I'm very interested." You know, do as much you know research on that person um because you just you just never know um just kind of a getting off the subject a little bit but um you know make sure you know who you're dealing with there was the actress i mentioned that came back to get in the business didn't want to go to the studios or networks alone so she brought a friend along and about two weeks after i met this young man i think he was in the construction business but he seemed to be very you know he loved the entertainment world so about two weeks after this, I get a collect call from Vegas, and it's this, let's call him Bill to protect the uh, guilty. Uh-huh. Uh, it's a uh, collect call from Vegas, and, you know, I accept it. And I he goes, Fred, Fred, I'm at the uh, pool at Caesars Palace. Here, talk to this young lady. And this girl gets on the phone. She goes, oh, Mr. Fox, um, Bill says, you, you know, you work on happy days, and, you know, you could meet with me. So um, I got him a drive on and, you know, met with the young lady and we, we all had lunch. And then at the end of the day, I get a, um, I guess, I'm sorry, I guess this is a universal. I get a call from Steven Spielberg's office and I'm going, wow, this could be cool. And I get on the phone and it was Mr. one of Mr. Spielberg's um, assistants and said, uh, did you leave a drive on for uh, Bill so-and-so? And I said, um, Oh, yes, I did. And she says, well, uh, please don't do that again. We caught him filming the Amblin offices. So, oh, wow. Uh, yeah, so I think, uh, I don't think Mr. Spielberg will be calling me for a film script. <laughs> but um, So it's good to, you know, check out. It's, you know, as, again, it's hard to know who's legit. Because, you know, if you want to be a doctor, you go to medical school. If you want to be a lawyer, you go to lawyer school. But as, as you know, and I'm sure we've all run into people that, say they're a producer and they've done all these things and 
it turns out not to be not to be the case. Yeah, I I think that's really stellar and important advice, and and is easier done today in in some regards because of the internet and or just by asking around for references and stuff. Right. But I mean, you know, as a young actor in Hollywood, the the number of times somebody would say, "Oh, we're going to do this, we're going to have that," and it turned out to be one false, or they're a fraud, or they wanted other things besides show business. You know. Um, right. It's it's really good advice to to check. Oh, well, the, the yeah, it's tough, I mean, I'm sorry. Yeah, all businesses are tough. I think, but in um, kind of the entertainment world and music, it's it's um, so competitive. And you know, people come from all over the world, you know, to to make it here. And um, you know, people work work so hard. And the, and the patience. Another example of the patience. Um, there was an actress that came out um, from New York to you know get in the business and. She called me at three in the morning, three weeks later, and said, "Oh, this is awful. I'm going back. I can't." And I said, "Well, just you know, some advice. You might want to wait, you know, more than three weeks <laughs> and give it a shot. But it's just, you just really need persistence. And um, you know, but it's you know, if it's your passion, you know, it certainly can happen. You hear, you know, some wonderful stories of, you know, actors, writers that have struggled, you know, for years, and then, you know, fortunately, are very talented and." and you know, they get a good break and go on to, you know, great, great careers. And just, as, as Churchill said, you know, never, never quit or give up. You can, you know, it can happen. Absolutely. Well, truth be told, 40 years later, I'm still waiting for a drive-on on Paramount. Oh, well, I, I don't know <laughs> if I can still get you one. I'll give it a shot. <laughs> yeah, but, uh, you know, in all seriousness, it is, it is, I call it the the last person in the room phenomenon. You know, you you if you're in a room with 20 other people who look like you in a casting situation, you know, or acting situation, uh, or vying for whatever position or whatever department the film business, if you're the last person around after everybody has given up, you're likely to get the job. Yeah, that's true. But was it? What, I don't remember. Was it Steve Martin who coined, who said comedy is not pretty? Was that his tagline? God, for a while. You know, I'm not, I'm not sure if he was one, but yeah, it, it, it's, um, and it's interesting because, you know, there's some very, very funny people that, um, you know, in real life, you know, you know, aren't, aren't maybe funny in person. And, and it's interesting when, um, when I was on, you know, happy days and, and family matters, it's, it's, it's interesting, um, to see the different, you know, personalities and staffs, you know, some person might be great story. Some other people are, you know, just very, very funny with, with the dialogue. Um, you know, some are great at both and just, you know, I've worked with so many incredibly talented people and Gary, Gary Marshall was just, you know, such a great, um, learning, you know, so much from him. And he, he also would give, um, people opportunities to do other things. Um, one day he came to me and said, hey, Fred, you should do the warm-up sometime. And, you know, for, I'm sure everyone knows, but for those who don't, it's, you know, when you shoot in front of a live audience, you have a warm-up person to, um, you know, talk to the audience, keep it going. Because, God, sometimes um, a show takes, you know, it's a half-hour show, and when it's on television, it's, you know, maybe 23 minutes, you know, after the commercials. But some shows will take three, four, five a friend, uh, Bob Perlow was a very well-known warm-up person. I, he did one show. I, I shouldn't say. I'm not sure. It might have been Friends, but he said sometimes it would take like seven hours to shoot, and the last thing you want is the you know audience to start leaving. So, um, oh, right. 
it was the warm-ups person to, you know, to keep them there as long as they could. And for, you know, I was very lucky because when I did, Gary was nice, and, you know, I did do the warm-up for quite a while. But what was nice was, you know, it was such a popular, you know, happy days, and Laverne and Shirley were, you know, so popular in Family Matters that I didn't do the warm-up on Family Matters. But, you know, they wanted to be there, so it was just a fun audience. And what, what Gary liked, um, and a warm-up person uh, was not necessarily to be a stand-up comic. You know, he wanted you to be funny, but the key thing for Gary was to keep the audience alive on the story because if there's a big, um, a long wait before the next scene, maybe it's a big wardrobe change or technical um, problem. Uh, you, you know, you want to be entertaining and so we'd we'd throw candy to the audience at you know long breaks, which people seem to love. One time, this one lady felt like she was at a zoo and they were throwing you know food to the animals. But um, and then sometimes we'd have have a you know a rock and roll trivia quiz. But you know you do you do anything to you know keep the audience happy and you know stay for the the filming. Yeah, that's amazing. I have never attended a live comedy shoot and in the sitcoms that I worked on were never live shows. So uh-huh. I, I have, I've been, I've been on shows. I mean, I've been to shows. I it must've been talk shows or something with warm up people, but I, but I've never been to a live, you like it. You know, wow, a, a, yeah. It, it yeah. just dawned on me that in my entire life, I've never gone to a taping of a, of a sitcom, you know, uh, with a live audience. So. Uh, well, if I ever, you know, get on a show again, I'll invite you and we'll save you a front <laughs> Invite row seat. you, yeah. No, but I mean, I mean yeah. it, it's it's just an incredible experience. I, you know, I watch, you know, shows on on the the making of them, you know, and things like that, and go, oh yeah, you know, that's cool. But I just I just never I never went to a show. That's well, anyway. Well, you know, it's uh, it's an interesting thing. Um, for example, on Happy Days, Family Matters, all the um, on it shows I've done, it's it's interesting. I think is it for those actors out there um, because the process was we shot um, Happy Days and Laverne and Shirley on Friday nights. Uh, we'd read with the cast on Monday mornings. Um, then the cast would go off, you know, to rehearse. Uh, Jerry Paris directed most of the Happy Days, so they would go off to rehearse. The right, you know, uh, we producers would give notes and then we'd get network notes and studio notes and then the writers would go back. So, um, you know, we're working on, you know, this week's show, the next week's show. But what, what I found interesting about the actors, you know, at the reading, it was important, obviously, that they really, you know, read well and stuff. And if so, you know, the writers and producers get an idea of, you know, what's working, what isn't working. If there was occasion where maybe the cast wasn't as happy with the script or not, you know, maybe they wouldn't give it their all. And also it was interesting, we'd have a run-through on Wednesdays, and that's the first time we'd see the episode on its feet. But um, the cast on Laverne and Shirley, Happy Days, uh, Family Matters, just loved, you know, performing that Friday night shoot. And the, sometimes it would kind of, quote-unquote, you know, save it a little bit for, you know, that performance. Um, so it's, it's always a, you know, very interesting process. Did, did, uh, Happy Day, did you shoot two sh- shows? I mean, you know, uh, right, we'd shoot a, um, a 4.30 show and then a 7.30 show. The 4.30 show, were for, um, for the evening show, you had to be 16 and over. And um, it was it was the afternoon show was fun because, you know, the kids were, little kids were there and they'd, they'd ask, you know, fun questions. And we'd go, um, 
you know, anyone have any exciting news? And one time this little cute little girl raised her hand and said, uh, I'm going to San Diego tomorrow, which, you know, just you never knew what the questions would be or what people <laughs> would say. So that was it's a lot of fun. Oh, that's very cool. Well, um, for people who would, like for an actor who gets on a sitcom, I, I, I guess I have two questions here. Um, let me, I'll go with the, the original thought, and that was, um, I asked this of somebody else, you know, or maybe more than one person once or twice, but, you know, uh, when you watch the final version of the show and you see, you know, the timing and the, you know, and sometimes, you know, there's it's a two shot, you know, or something, or I mean, we, you're watching the two people in, you know, in close proximity act and react together um, mm-hmm. versus where they're cut to, you know, a response or something like that. The, uh, the question that I have is, is how much of the actors, how much, how much direction do the actors get? I mean, I had one person tell me they don't get anything. They come in, they either bring it in or they don't bring it in at all. And I'm like, well, what about your 10 year old kids? You know I mean? There's got to be, I can't, you know, I, I taught acting for kids and, and, you know, on camera for many years in Los Angeles with somebody else. And, and as good as they were with, you know, and they got a script, they would come in, but they still needed to, they still needed to be directed, you know, and, and same with most actors I've ever worked with. Is that, is that a fair assessment that, you know, if you're going to get, you're going to get on a sitcom, you, you need to, you need to bring your A game, but, you're not just your A game and nothing else. <laughs> there is. Oh right, yeah, um, no, that's no, that's a good point. Yeah, is I mean the whole. Pro, I'll answer this in a section in a second, but I'll just go back. Um, the audition process is very, very interesting. You know, it's tough. Um, you know, you show up. I mean, I've only acted maybe tel- seven television shows, and most of the time I was lucky. I just kind of got the park and. Pardon, didn't have to audition. One time I auditioned, and it, boy, it's tough. Easy. Sometimes, you know, when you get the sides, you aren't sure what the whole story is, and there's, you know, the choice. There's so many ways you can go, um, and yeah. So when, you know, when you're going to an audition, obviously you want to be prepared, um, but it, it's a tough process. First of all, you have, um, you have the casting director, and then you have, you know quite a few producers on the show. So, for example, the casting director will bring in, you know, people he or she knows and has worked with and, you know, can do the job. And then often the producers will say, um, please, you know, please read so-and-so. So it, it's tough enough for an actor, but um, you want to give other people a shot, you know, you know, that don't know the producer, don't know the casting director. So what? when I was... Um, producing and you know some of my fellow producers would always tell the or ask the casting director to bring in you know people that we you know don't know or that maybe haven't done anything and give them a give them a shot and then it was interesting when we would audition um, I won't mention the show or the producer but after the actor would do the audition and leave he would immediately grab the um, actor's resume and he'd kind of look at it and say, oh, well, you know, they haven't really done anything. And, you know, I might say or someone would say, wait a second, he or she did a great job. Um, you know, to me, if you don't have a lot of experience and you, you know, had a great audition, 
you know, give give the actor a break because you know when you're shooting, um, you know, you if you know if the actor blows the line, you know, you get it again, or if the scene doesn't work, you do it. So, um, you know, you just you want <laughs> want to give people a chance. So, um, you know, and also I'm sorry back back to the writing um, when. Sometimes I think it's wise if, say, you're writing, you know, a spec script, um, a book, whatever, um, maybe give yourself a, a deadline. I, for example, I have a friend who worked on a book for 30 years and then finally got it published. I have a another friend who has worked on, you know, the, the same maybe script or book for 20 or 20-plus years. And also, when when you're writing, when you do turn it in, just obviously you want it the best it can be. And just kind of an example, a friend of mine was writing, I don't, it might have been a script, um, and a friend of a friend's, and he, he didn't have an agent, and a friend said, well, you know, I have this agent if you like, you know, I'll ask him if he'll read your stuff. And he said, oh, gosh, that'd be nice. And then I think two months later, he calls and said, oh, you know, I, I got my script to um, the agent. And I said, oh, you know, that's great. And then the next thing he says is, oh, there are a lot of typos. And I said, well, why? You know, why would you hand in a script that had a lot of typos? And he goes, well, they don't care. You know, they'll just fix it. And I, I just was totally incredulous. So, I mean, it sounds like an obvious advice, but just, you know, like <laughs> make sure the character's name is spelled right because, <laughs> right. you know, producers get – so many spec scripts, and for example, if the um, you know if they're typos or the characters' names aren't spelled well, you know, maybe you won't toss it, but you'll certainly you know put it aside and read another spec script first. Wow. Well, when it comes to getting on a show, I mean, like let's say Happy Days or Mark and Mindy, those kinds of things. You know, I mean, Henry Winkler was you know probably God in the '70s with the right. the show. And right. and so if if a young actor actress gets on the show, what kind of decorum? What what do you expect from them? You know, because if they go gaga all all over whoever the leading persons are, you know, I mean, you know, I guess the advice I'm asking for is just how should a person approach getting on the set for the first time and working with people who obviously are are known far and wide internationally and they're huge stars. Um, and 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 you may have one line or you may have you know a couple of scenes um but on screen and off screen um the the behavior so that you hopefully get invited back yeah that no that's an excellent question um yeah if you're you're guest starring um you try you know not to be in awe and, and you know because you're you're a professional you know whether you're you know, you're just starting out, or um, but it, it's tough. But fortunately, on Happy Days, you know, the it really you know was a family, and um, I've talked to actors that you know guest starred on Happy Days and Family Matters, and um, it's always always for almost you know eighty ninety percent of the time it's, it's a good you know good feedback. I think if if there are cases where maybe the guest star um, is you know maybe not acting professional or something, then obviously the cast isn't going to be, you know, as welcoming, but, um, you, you know, you want, you want a friendly set and no yelling and, um, 
some some sets are you know happier than others. Um, I'm sure a lot of people have heard. You know, Laverne and Shirley was you know kind of a tough show sometimes. Um, and you know, Happy Days. Gary Marshall called Happy Days you know kind of the happy set, and the Laverne and Shirley set, you know, maybe not as much happy, but um, um, yeah, it's you know. The shows that before I've worked on have been a welcoming. There might, there there were times maybe where you know some of the cast wasn't maybe happy with someone, but that was only because maybe they were not um, not professional or didn't you know maybe work as hard. But um, you know everyone was. And, uh, I'm sorry, adding something. But Gary Marshall had a thing called Camp Marshall Mount that. When Gary had five, got, I think five shows on there at one time before we started shooting, he would uh, have all the writers and producer meet on stage 19, and some people would, you know, do comedy skits. I did a Rick James impression, saying "Super Freak," but it was just everyone, <laughs> because you know when we're in production, it's not a lot of time to um, you know get together and quote have have fun. So Gary would do that to welcome everybody. Well, that's really cool. I um, uh, one of the reasons I ask is because uh, a friend of mine was a director on a very popular TV drama show, and the star was a, a big, big international star, but also known to be really quirky, really demanding, and really explosive. And mm-hmm. my director, even, and I knew the star through a mutual friend. I mean, we 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 a good friend of his, and so we knew each other. But when I'm on the set, the director just pulled me aside and said, do not get in his way. Do not, if you can avoid him in any way, just, he's like, you know, my ass is on the line here. I don't need any, you know, and right. I'm like, yeah, no worries. I mean, you know, in other words, and, uh, and nothing ever, I mean, not, there was, there were no problems when I was around, but that I'm aware of, but, but this, he, you know, he can shut down production for a day, you know, I mean, oh, just, boy, that's, just, you know, I, I'm sorry, I think as I mentioned before, you know, we're all so lucky to be in this business, and when people, you know, have the ego ego and scream at people, it's just, you know, hard to understand because, you know, we're right. like, sorry to be so redundant, but, you know, we're lucky to be, you know, doing this. And I'm sorry to get back to your um, question about, you know, like uh, directing or when, you know, young kids are on the show. Um, yes. Yeah, they definitely, um, you know, need direction. Um, we have a friend named Rich Carell who's, Directed, I think, over 700 sitcoms, and he's known for, um, you know, working with, with you know, children um, very well. So it could obviously, you know, help the uh, young person's uh, performance. And I, there's, I've got worked with some amazing young young actors um, that you think, wow, how 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 can they be this good when they're so oh. so young? Truly. Well, comedy is so much so difficult. I mean, there's there's the elements of timing, you know, uh, right. and, and I'm going to want to ask you about writing again. But but you know, just the, just the well, let me ask you this, too. Let me let me shift gears here. Um, and I, and I want to ask you how you think it changed. And I'm going to prejudice this question, I guess, with, with this ex, with, with this explanation. In the old days, there wasn't any profanity. You know, there were there were guards. You didn't get away. You know, later you could say ass and different words and things like that, and, and things changed. Um, but somebody somebody close to me at one time in the 90s said, I, I don't want to watch sitcoms anymore. And I'm like, why? Because I hadn't been watching sitcoms for a long time. I was like, you know, into dramas and other movies, you know, on HBO or whatever. And because of this person, I started watching a lot of sitcoms again. 
and and the person made the comment they're so disrespectful of each other now you know and 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 I thought about that and then suddenly I started watching like my, when my children were little the Disney shows that they were watching and and so many of the shows whether it was Disney or Nickelodeon or whatever it seemed like the parents were always the bad people and the kids were always the good ones they were always smart and the parents were always stupid and the kids were really clever and they just uh-huh. this kind of and so but Happy Days was this kind of innocent, fun family, you know, Laverne and Shirley. I mean, the, the humor wasn't based on making anyone look really bad or really disparage them or, you know what I mean? And, I, and there does seem to be more of, in my estimation, that today. Would you agree or disagree? Does, has, the, has the comedy shifted away from just like pure, the joke for the joke, kind of like the difference between... In, in stand-up comedy, a blue joke and a joke, you know, you can work clean or you can work not so clean. Is, is comedy yeah. today gotten, as it's gotten more edgy, kind of lost the, it may still be funny, but lost the, um, I don't know, the, I don't want to say innocence, but the. Uh, right. No, I think, I think you're 100%, 100% right. Um, it's, it's changed so much. I mean, either, even when, you know, dad started remembering, you know, a lot of, um, family sitcoms, okay. the husband wife, you know, <laughs> wouldn't be sleeping in the same bed. Right. right. Um, and even, you know, and ha- happiness, right. It, it was, you know, very warm, innocent times. And as Gary said, when um, All in the Family and other shows like that started, which were great shows, uh, Gary Marshall would say, well, those, you know, those are such and such. But, you know, my shows are, are recess. I mean, he just wanted them to be. You know, fun, mm. fun family shows, and you know, we never tried. And you know, once in a while on Happy Days, we do some maybe different shows. We did a show where um, Fonzie hired someone, needed help in his garage, and hired someone over the phone. And it turned out to be um, a paraplegic, and we just felt that, you know, if we could um, have, you know, make uh, young kids see, um, you know, what a quote-unquote disabled person you know went through and so you know sometimes we do something a little different but boy it's i like if my father were alive today and saw some of the sitcoms he, he'd just be stunned i mean just of the you know the the sexual content and some of the you know some of the language um right. so yeah i think it's changed dramatically and it's 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 interesting sometimes i forget how um you know, Happy Days, Laverne and Shirley, and shows like that. Uh, Marion Ross, who played the mom on Happy Days, right. uh, wrote a book, I guess, about a year, year and a half ago, and went to one of her book signings. There were probably like 100 people there, and Marion Zanice kind of introduced me. But just, I mean, people of all ages, you know, came up to her, came up to me and said, wow, thank you so much. And I was lucky to do a, a speaking engagement about a year ago in front of 100 people. It was a um, retirement home, and it, the person that um, uh, Lynn Adams that ran the um, kind of lecture series there, she asked me to speak there, which I was stunned because some of the speakers were amazing. But just before I went on to talk, I spoke for about an hour and a half. She said, oh, you know, some people are in their 80s and they may not be, you know, following, but boy, you know, they seemed to really enjoy it. They came up afterward and said, Boy, we love this show and uh, brought back a lot of good memories. So sometimes, you know, you forget how um, popular. And as you said, you know, Henry was, I mean, the whole cast, you know, was great. And Henry's 
you know, finds his jacket in the Smithsonian, and there's so it's right. um, yeah, the power of television is pretty, you know, pretty amazing. And uh, one thing that was interesting when um, uh, I think it was Terry Anderson who was a, a prisoner. I, I can't remember which which war, but he said that the inmates and the guards would watch reruns of Happy Days together, <laughs> which is just, wow. you know, pretty amazing. It is amazing. Uh, yeah. Well, if you're, if you're willing to, and, and, and we'll, we'll move on to other things, but the, the, we'll go Happy Days. Fonzie, if, if it were a drama, could be a horrifically nefarious, bad, evil ass. I mean, you know, he could, yeah. you know, he would, you know, in a in a drama, he could he could be really you know the, the the antagonist to to all the good people. I mean, it would be completely different. The conflict would be different. What what makes comedy? Is there something that we can discuss to say you could because Fonzie could be a, a character in a drama, or Fonzie could be the character he was in the in the shows. Um, right. What's the difference between drama and comedy? What would a, what would a person wanting to study comedy need to know to to make turn Fonzie from uh, a, a bad guy to a to a uh, not so bad guy you know a comedy guy because yeah. even even when he started he was his, his character evolved quite a bit from when he first came on the show to right from being yeah no that's, but, that's a, go yeah, ahead good question I think it it started at, at the audition I think originally I I came on Happy Days the fourth season. So when they, I wasn't there when they were casting Fonzie, but um, as some of the audience may know, um, originally they were looking for you know like a big tough guy, kind of like myself. Mm-hmm. No, I guess I lied. I'm not that tough. Um, <laughs> so at the reading, you know, Henry came in, and Henry, you know, isn't big or intimidating, um, but he just apparently you know just had this presence. Um, and they decided, okay, you know, he's the guy. And then um, I kind of, I kind of got why Henry was so good at what he did because you know he's the tough guy with a you know good heart and stuff. But um, I was fortunate to uh, act in a Happy Days episode um, called Stolen Melodies. It was written by Brian Levant, and um, the premise was it was. Um, the guy's band uh, tried out for a show called uh, Sock Hop. It was kind of like American Bandstand and uh, Leather Tuscadero and the band, you know, tries out to get on. And during the audition, there's a group called Freddie and the Red Hots that are watching. And it turns out that Freddie and the Red Hots steal the song. So um, I had the part of Freddie. At the end of the show, I have a con. Freddie has a confrontation with, with Fonzie, with, you know, with Henry and um, uh, Fonzie says to me, oh, so uh, you stole, you know, Leather's song. And I said, yeah, I stole it, you know, kind of like big deal. And he goes, Henry, Fonzie says, I'm like, well, that wasn't very nice. And I said, well, you know, I'm not going to be pushed around by any two-bit hood. And I've been, you know, I've been working with Henry for a couple of years. But during that scene, I actually felt, I don't want to say I felt fear, but it was like you could understand how how well Henry played that part um, because wow. you know for a moment I thought shit this is this is a little scary so to um, 
relieved that after the show I beat him up. So <laughs> no, I, not really, not really. But it was, it was, and also, you know, I was lucky to have some acting parts, which really, you know, really helps as a writer producer. So you, you know, you see it from their their sides. Well, that's amazing. But but is there um, are there I hate to use the term, but are there techniques that an actor can use, you know, um, to to turn something that would be serious into a comedic moment? Like, you know, the you know, obviously the anger in a, in in most comedies, at least in that era, weren't direct, it wasn't directed so much at each other. You know, they didn't go, you miserable mm-hmm. son and so such and yell at each other in that way. They seem to direct the anger away from the person and maybe to the situation or to, you know, the events that were unfolding, even though they might be mad at the person, it never, it never would raise to, you know, the kind of level you would see in a drama, but then, and then somewhere in there, suddenly there'd be a joke, you know, or, you know, right. Right. You know, so um, are there conventions that uh, just, are there writing conventions for, for making something funny or some kind of, form or or something a person could study in order if they wanted to be a comedy writer right you know i i don't i don't think there's a a kind of a form i think i would watch you know watch dramatic actors and oh i would other thing before i forget is an actor um one of the cast directors on a lot of gary shows a gentleman named bobby hoffman who was very you know very highly you know thought of and i remember bobby telling me he loved actors that did theater and did plays and you know really worked to hone their craft and it's it's a tough road because sometimes you can rehearse for weeks and then you know getting people there you know i read this one show once and you know some nights there'd be you know 10 people in the audience um so just you know you know read and do everything you can and for example what's interesting on your question about comedy and drama you know they're like you know Jackie Gleason, obviously known as you know a comedic actor, but I guess was a you know hustler and was very dramatic. And even Henry's character, even though there were times, it was interesting because there were times he would get mad. Like um, Richie made a winning shot in a, a basketball game, and you know got a little you know a little cocky, which is you know not his character. And then mm-hmm. there. He's kidnapped, so he can't play in the playoffs. And Fonzie comes into Arnold's and rescues him. And it just, when the audience saw Henry kind of get mad and he, you know, knocked the door down in um, Arnold's, people just, you know, thought that was funny. And even though it was kind of a dramatic moment, there was still humor in it. And then um, we did a show that Rich Curl and I wrote where, um, as writers, sometimes, I mean, I'm asked a lot, you know, how we come up with ideas. And, you know, sometimes you sit there for hours and struggle and not come up with anything. And then sometimes you'll just be driving. And one time I was driving, I thought, oh, might be a funny episode if um, Fonzie pushed off a little kid when they're like three or four years old. And the guy that Fonzie pushed off comes back for revenge. And we ended up doing the episode, and Tom Hanks played the guy who comes back for revenge. And it was, I mean, they were just so funny together. And there were, you know, funny moments. And then, you know, Tom, Tom Scarlett wants revenge and wants Fonzie to fight, but Fonzie promised Ashley that he wouldn't, you know, get any more fights. So he wanted to keep his word. And then, anyway, they ended up fighting. So some, finally, um, 
Fonzie says to Tom Hanks' character, take your best shot. So he kicks him through Arnold's glass window, and you think that's the end of Fonzie, but obviously you know it's not, but he Fonzie comes back in. So it's, um, you know, there's comedic and dramatic moments that um, sometimes the humor will help in the moment and vice versa. No, absolutely. Very, very cool. But you, uh, in, 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 in following in this same vein, you had mentioned Jackie Gleason. That Jackie Gleason, you know, would say, to the moon, Alice, where he goes right. one day, Alice, right. pow. You know, now, we might not even be able to get do that humor today, you know, because of yeah, true. I don't think we, the change we of time. But at the time, even though he said it, you never, he, I mean, if he had done it in a drama, if he had done it in one of his dramatic movies, you know, you'd believe that he meant it. But you knew right. that he was being rhetorical, if nothing else, I guess, in the comedy. And, right. You know, but part of it, I, I mean, when you look at it, I mean, he didn't look her in the eye, you know, and menacingly say, you know, to the moon, Alice, <laughs> I'm going to take you out. Right. You know, right. so, so this is what I guess that, you know, when it comes to comedy in terms of, you know, I don't want to say over-exaggeration or, or, you know, things like that, because I, 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 I don't want to, limit it to that but there seems to be conventions that are very different in comedy you know that 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 if you put them in a drama they might even serve the drama you know they in the old days in the old movies like when you know in the 30s and 40s they actually had comic relief for a lot of dramas which you don't see so much today you know sometimes they script a funny line or something but you don't have the idea that oh we're going to put this famous character actor in the movie because everybody knows that person like the famous drunk guy or the famous you know, big right. woman, or you know, we we don't we don't follow those conventions, but but there was a way of, of relieving tension. Um, you know, but comedy is such a, I, I mean, I can't write comedy, and and oh, let me let me even change the question. I'm going to ask this. Um, I've had I've had both yes and no answers to this, and and one is, um, the format, you know, which at one time was, you know, 24 minutes, now it's 22 minutes, could be 19 minutes, whatever it is today. But, you know, you're writing with a, a, a certain, you're trying to tell a story within within a fairly short period of time, and you have commercial breaks. Now, in a drama, almost every commercial break is preceded by the actor looking off into the distance, you know, they're close up on the face, and they, somebody walks away, and the actor's looking thoughtful, and they cut to commercial, and they come back. And it's an establishing shot of the exterior of wherever they're at, and then they cut inside. Right. I mean, it's a, it's a sort of conventions. But they're right. Do you in comedy? Do you write to the commercial break? Like that's the thing that I, I'm not disciplined enough to say, oh, I've got four minutes to tell this story, and then we're going to have a commercial. Or do you just write the thing and let them insert the commercials? How does how does how does yeah, the writing of them? No, that's a good question. We yeah, you, know, you just write it as you said. Um, you know, a half-hour show, as you said, is going to be maybe, you know, 22, 23 minutes. Um, and I'm glad you asked this question because I think um, young writers or beginning writers, um, it's, you know, as I said before, the story is so important and you have such a short time to execute the story and drive to the ending. Um, a lot of beginning writers and, I, you know, um, experienced writers sometimes will kind of go off on a tangent where they think, you know, it's funny, and it's all of a sudden it's like two pages that have nothing to do with the story, doesn't drive the story. And um, what we've 
my experience has been, for example, um, on Wednesday when it's the run-through, any time the run-through, say you're um, maybe four or five, six minutes over. or um, So when you go up to do the rewrite, you obviously want to cut cut it down. I mean, you can end up, you know, when you shoot the show, it can be maybe say it's two minutes over. So you, you want to give the editor, you know, something where he, like the editor will do a cut, and then we as producers will see the cut and make suggestions. But if you end up shooting a show and it's, you know, like eight minutes over, sometimes that's brutal because you have to make, you know, a lot of cuts. So it's easier to cut, you know, on paper. So we sometimes we'd have an expression called be brutal, and sometimes you have to cut some, you know, either very funny stuff or maybe a nice moment. But, you, you know, you don't want to cut the nice moments. But, um, yeah, you just have to, um, you know, be very careful with, with length. And and so just write the 22-minute, you know, show and let them yeah. worry about where the breaks right. well, are. But, yeah, well, basically, you, you want to be concerned. Also, you have to be concerned about, you know, budgets, and you can't do – you know, certain things because, you you know, you have a certain licensing fee and budget you have to stick to. Um, so you just, but, you know, when you've been doing it for a while, you have a sense of, you know, how long the script was and the other different formats for an audience shoot or, you know, single, single cameras, you know. So you just, you get a feel, you know, just by the length of the script. And, you know, when you know it has to be 23 minutes, you know, you, you make the cuts to make sure you're not, you know, a lot, a lot over. And then in syndication, a lot of times you'll watch the show and you'll say, hey, what, what happened to that scene or what happened? But, you know, there more, seem to be more commercials in, you know, when it's in syndication. So um, just have to be aware of everything. Well, that's really very cool. Do you have a, a favorite I mean, you're, you're famous, you know, the, the episode of Jump the Shark and become a, a worldwide phenomenon and a catchphrase for so many things. Um, besides that one, because we'll come back and talk about that, do you have, out of any of your shows, do you have a, you know, famous episode or, you know, famous show? And, and what would be the reasoning behind that? Oh, man, that's a good question. I, God, I'm, I'm, yeah, very, yeah. We'll talk about Jump the Shark later, which was a you know very interesting uh, moment, I guess. Um, but I, I I can't think of you know the Tom Hanks thing was fun because they're you know also good together. And then when you know Robin made his first appearance on Happy Days, as he mentioned, we'll get to that later too, which is a, just incredible. Um, just um, you know, again, it was very fortunate to write quite a few episodes of, you know, all the shows. I only wrote one, Laverne and Shirley, um, that Ron Howard and Anson Williams guest starred on, um, which was a thrill. And, oh, going back to my father, when um, I finally um, got my first script assignment um, on the show that Ron and Anson were guest, Laverne and episode they were guesting on, um, when I got the assignment, uh, I had two weeks to write the first draft, and the next day, my parents are going on a cruise. So I think if, if my father had been here, I would have called him and said, what the hell am I doing? Um, but since he was gone, you know, I was kind of on my own, which it, I think turned out to you know, be a good thing. Um, so, I, I mean, that first episode, you know, obviously I remember it was my first one. And 
you know, I didn't want to let Cindy down. I didn't want to let Gary down. And Logan, who gave me the assignment, didn't want to let him down. So, um, you know, I remember that one a lot. And, you know, a lot of the episodes I was fortunate to write, I, you know, enjoyed. And But, yeah, I guess the Jump the Shark one was one that's one of the most memorable because of, you know, the kind of phenomenon that went on after Well, it, it's absolutely, you know, amazing. I mean, you've got such an incredible body of work um, with so many successful shows. And uh, I want to come back and, and talk about, it as as we just mentioned, both of those. So I'm going to take a, a, a pause here for a, um, a little bit of a station identification, and then we'll okay. be right back. So here we are, right, about well, halfway through. Thanks, everyone, for listening. And we'll be right back with Fred. Okay. You're listening to Rex Sykes Movie Beat, Conversations with Filmmakers, where we discuss everything film and television. You can find all of these discussions at blogtalkradio.com. Blogtalkradio.com will house the entire collection of over 500 hours of conversations with professionals telling you what to do and what not to do, sharing stories and experiences um, and, and their tips and suggestions for how you can navigate and and uh, negotiate your own career. So uh, go to Blog Talk Radio. It used to be that all of these were uploaded to Apple iTunes. There's been some problem with the feed. They're trying to resolve that. And uh, so Apple iTunes is not the place at this moment. But uh, hopefully they'll they'll figure this all out and get it worked. And, uh, and we'll have all the shows available. My site, rexsykes.com, that's my name, R-E-X-S-I-K-E-S.com. Um, is a is a legacy site now. It is is no longer able to be updated, but it also houses um, about uh, five or six years worth of shows. So you can always go to rexsykes.com and and click on the interviews button, and it will take you back to the very first episode um, that uh, we recorded back. I recorded back in two thousand nine. And uh, I think it takes you all the way up until t- 2014. And then, and then blog talk will take you from 2009 all the way through to today. Um, that said, I hope you go and you check out um, all of my guests and the information, whether you're a director, a producer, an actor, a cinematographer, an editor, you know, whatever department you work in, a screenwriter uh, for TV or movies or other content areas, um, go and check it out and listen to it. And also, just so you know, my book, Life on Your Terms, Live the Life You Want, is available. You can get it at Amazon um, in paperback, you know, hard copy physical book, or you can get the Kindle. I encourage you to get that. Um, there's different stories and different things in it, but it's about being able to to uh, go after and live the life that you dream of. And so it applies to your career, but most importantly, it applies to your life. And we're back with uh, Mr. Fred Fox Jr., an amazing, amazing gentleman. So glad that you're here, Fred. Um, well, thank you. So, well, let's tackle the jump the shark moment first, if you don't mind. Is that is that good for you? Um, yeah, I'm sorry. Could you repeat that? I didn't hear it. I said let's let's tackle that jump the shark moment first. Oh, great, sure. <laughs> let's 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 go into that and how that all came about, and and this was the last within the last two years of Happy Days, correct? Uh, right, yeah, it was uh, 1977, I think. 
It was actually, yeah. Um, yeah, it was the fourth season, I think. The fourth season. How many How many seasons did, did Miss Happy Days? Oh, oh there were 11. Seven? 11. 11 years. Okay. Wow. Jump the Shark was the fourth season of it? Wow. Yeah. Um, yeah, I it was my that, first, let's see. First. Well, I thought, my memory, sorry, I just thought it was like, Toward the end of the run of the show. That's that's. that's but go ahead. You, you you know better than I. <laughs> All right. Um, yeah. yeah. It was um, it was part of a uh, three part season opener. Wow. Um, so we all sat down to figure out you know, what the story was going to be. Uh, we the A story uh, was um, oh, where Arnold's and a talent scout's car breaks down. Comes into Arnold's, see Fonzie's. Um, Magic, you know, snaps his finger and the ladies come, hits the jukebox, and the talent agent goes, "Wow, this guy! We got to get this guy to Hollywood. He could be the next James Dean." Um, so the Cunninghams go with Fonzie to uh, Hollywood. In um, the A story, it turns out that um, Richie goes with Fonzie for a screen test, and Richie's running lines, and then ends up, you know, Richie. They want Richie for the screen test. We had a uh, B story where um, finds it on the beach, and there's a character called the uh, California Kid, a surfer. Uh, they uh, they kind of butt heads; they don't get along, so they have a water skiing race. Um, it's a tie, and they think, okay, we we need a tiebreaker, so we pitch you know a lot of different tiebreakers. And what's interesting, um, uh, Lee Margulies, who was working at the Times. Um, asked me to write an article on Jump the Shark, God, about 10 years ago. And in the article, I said, you know, I can, I can remember, I'll hear a joke that was done, you know, the first season I was there, and I'll remember who wrote it, but I couldn't re- we couldn't really remember who came up with the idea that, you know, they jumped the shark. So anyway, um, the California kid agrees, uh, played by an actor, I think it was James Naughton, um, so the California kid chickens out. Uh, everyone says Fonzie wins. Fonzie says, no, no, to win, i got to jump the shark. So he jumps the shark. Um, what was interesting is that episode was number three for the week. It had a 50 share watched by 30 million people. And then when we read the script with the cast, you know, no one said, are you guys out of your mind? Fonzie jumps the shark. <laughs> so so in, um, I think it was 1987, a gentleman named John Hine was – at the University of Michigan, and he and a couple of his roommates were watching television. And one of them said, "Hey, what was um, what was one of your favorite shows?" He felt, you know, started going down, on, you know, downhill and decline. Someone said, "Oh, there's this Love Boat episode." Someone said, "Oh, there's this Flintstones episode." And one guy said, "No, no, no. It was when Fonzie jumps the shark." And there was kind of silence, and that was it. So. Um, <laughs> John, you know, Hein comes up with this website, Jump the Shark, and then it turned and he wrote a book where it wasn't just where television shows started their decline. It was when politicians and, you know, movie stars and sports people, quote, unquote. So when um, Lee asked me to write that article, um, it was titled, you know, Writer in Defense of Jump the Shark. So in, in my opinion, um, uh, Mr. Hein and his his gang were wrong because after that episode, uh, Happy Days went on for um, six more years. We're in the top 25 
uh, rated shows. Uh, five of those six years, I went on to write or co-write 26 more Happy Days episodes. So, um, yeah, it was just it was um, interesting that it just became such a phenomenon, and you know, it's still used today. And um, uh, it's, so I felt I felt like, God, is this you know, is this going to you know? Since I wrote that episode, um, you know, it's a teamwork thing, and we all worked on it. But I, you know, wrote the episode. Um, will I be, you know, scarred for life, or like a modern day <laughs> Hester Prynne with a with a S on my chest or something? But um, it was it was it's rather interesting. I was um, Jim Gagan, who writer producer who worked with on Family Matters. Jim and I, you know, years after had a I guess when we were doing Family Matters, we had a meeting at Disney, and there's this young executive and she looked at my resume and said oh I, I see you worked on um happy days and i said oh yes and she said well do you have any idea who wrote the jump the shark episode and i kind of said i did and she was so kind of excited i don't think I, we ever ended up pitching our idea because she wanted to know you know how it all happened so it was uh quite quite a interesting experience well, I, I love that you point out that because the, when you said the fourth season, I'm like, well, you know, my memory has it like toward the end of the show. And it, just to show how faulty memories can be. Um, and the fact that you pointed out that, that you know, it, that it's incorrect to assume that the Jump the Shark episode was the beginning of the decline because they had six, they had more seasons after it than they had before it. So Yeah, I think it aired, aired yeah. September 20th, 77. And yeah, we shot our last episode. Um, uh, I think it was November '83. So yeah, Jeez, I think wow. we did. I think we did some of our best episodes, you know, after that. that now, so. did Joni write Love Chachi run concurrently toward the end of Happy Days, or did that come about um, afterwards? Yeah, I don't that, remember. Let's see. Um, I think it was um, after Joni Love Chachi. There are two seasons of Happy Days left. In fact, um, Joni Love crossover. Um, well, yeah, it was the same time. Um, uh, there are four episodes. I wrote one of the episodes, and when Johnny Loves Chachi was p- picked up, Gary Marshall asked me if I wanted to stay on Johnny Loves Chachi or stay on Happy Days and run the show with Brian Levant. And um, fortunately, I chose to stay on Happy Days. And, yeah. Um, so... Well, those things make a big difference. I always tell people whenever it came to, like, I've had agents split up and I would go with one and, and their business would go into the sewer and the other ones would flourish. You know, I mean, uh, there's those crossroad decisions that can make or break well, careers. Very tough decision. I'm sure, you know, a lot of the audience have been in that situation where maybe you're offered two shows and you'd have to decide right. which one. And, you know, you'll take one. And it's canceled right away. And if you'd taken the other one, that went on for you know seven years. So it's just, just uh, again, look yeah, at the draw. It is, it is what it is, that's for sure. And uh, and it's not one of those things that you can. I mean, you <laughs> pretty hard to improve your decision making when it's offered to you like that. You know, it's like you don't have a lot to go on. You know, how no. do you, how do you choose a show that's not exist yet? So, well. I, but that's what makes Hollywood to me in some ways so romantic, you know, because it is, it is the, the story of, of ne- negotiating a career in Hollywood is really no different than Die Hard. You know, <laughs> you're up against incredible, <laughs> incredible odds, you know, 
And uh, but you're doing it because you have to, or you want to, or because it's love, or your passion, or you know. And can you yeah. can you get you know can you get through it? And in the third act, you know everything is falling apart, you know. And and so it it's a uh, it, it it the the fact that it's tough is also why I think people. I've always said. I mean, I go back and forth between the Midwest and Hollywood, and I've always said Hollywood is far friendlier than the Midwest and people think I'm crazy. And I go, and I don't mean the plastic stuff about what kind of car do you drive and where do you live stuff. Right. But, but the but the people who live in the industry forged such in many ways. I mean, I, I mean, a girlfriend and I said, Hey, we'll love each other forever. We're going to get married. We're going to have a great time. Unless one of us gets the soap opera in New York and we have to leave. Right. But, <laughs> but, right. Um, but in general, my, my point is people, because it's tough, and because people who, who experience it know what everybody has got to do to get through it. And I'm not talking about the ones who give, um, you know, um, bogus reasons for why someone's successful. What, I'm, what I mean is that everybody understands the process for the most part. Some people luck into it. That's great. Some people, whatever. But, you know, whether you're a writer or a, a producer or a director or an actor or a grip or a craft service person, you're all starting in the same place pretty much. Um, true, true, and it's a, such a teamwork show from you know from craft service to the top. It, it's just it's you know and it's a family being on uh, Happy Days seven seasons and um, Family Matters eight. It's just it's and then again Gary Marshall was just amazing. He started a softball team because he felt it would be good for the cast and some of the writer producers to. You know, get together off the set, and it, it was just an incredible. Uh, Brian and I were on the team, and kind of you know ran the team, and we played in major league ballparks before we played in Dodger Stadium, Veteran Stadium, Wrigley Field, um, played for charities uh, for like the Special Olympics, and the cast would go, and Brian and I and some others, and then um, sometimes we'd invite um, Tom Hanks went on two of them, Tony Danza, Rob Reiner. Penny, Terry Fisher. It was just, it was such a um, kind of a family uh, experience, both on and off the set, which was just, you know, fortunately still friends with a lot of, you know, the cast and people I worked with and established friendships that you know, have carried on for 30, 30, 40 years. That's amazing. Well, I, I, I'm only going to bring this up because it just flashed into my mind and I can't. It just a, very casually knew Tony, and at that time his young son, like in the seventies or late early eighties. But it was his oh. brother, isn't it, Maddie D'Anza? Yeah, is that his? Right. Yeah. Okay. Boy, I haven't I haven't considered that in so many years because uh, I, I don't have. Uh, yeah, Tony. Yeah, it's interesting. Um, Tony and I e- emailed each other not too long ago, and it's funny in this business. I'm sure we've all gone to that. Uh, that part sometimes where people don't call back, but um, you know, if you get a hold of Tony, he'll you know get right back to you and stuff. Which is, and that's you know, another important thing for writers and actors and everybody. Just be, um, you know, be professional. You know, if someone pitches something, get back to them and say, you know, gosh, I'm sorry this doesn't work, but it'll, you know, at least have the courtesy to get you know get back to people. Um, which sounds yeah, you know kind of basic, but it's it's very very important. Well, I think of Hollywood as the town that, you know, I mean, I used to do it when I had an answering machine, you would screen your calls, but I think, right. I think now people screen their calls more for, I need to hear like I'm busy than I'm trying to make sure that I'm not, 
answering a, a, a robocall. You know what I mean? It's like, right. uh, and, it, and it frustrates me now with the, the, the age of cell phones where if I call, even my sister, if I call my sister, she doesn't get back to me for a day. I'm like, Hey, come on now. You're my sister. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> yeah. You know, so you hope your friends will do at least that much, but to be professional uh, is your point, you know, and to get back to people in, in this and to stay in touch. Again, I can't say how important it is. I mean, uh, you know, the relationships that people um, create, in, you know, and, and the ability to stay, sustain those. And, you know, and like you said, you know, you went to high school with Cindy and Cindy calls you up, you know, and says, hey, would you like to do this? And it, it, it's the entryway to something. So much is so I had a, a friend of mine call me up and say, hey, I got this part for you. And I said, thank you for giving me a part. He goes, no, you earned it. But, oh. but, you know, it was so, no, it was really cool of him. But, but you know, I wouldn't have the part had we not known each other and had we not added value to each other through the years and if he'd not trusted me. So, you know, it is, it's, it's the, the nature of relationships and the ability of people to, uh, to nurture those as opposed to um, uh, being flippant, you know, or calloused or thinking we're too good to get back to people. Oh, right. And Hen- Henry Wengler has been great. He, um, He's hired me twice since Happy Days. Um, in 1999, a British company wanted to do a Happy Days musical, and Henry wasn't, you know, happy with the script and asked if I'd take a look and, um, you know, did a rewrite. And we um, it opened just outside of London, and Henry and I went. Um, again, this is 99, and it was actually a very, very good production. And then it went toured in Australia for a little bit, and then. Gary Marshall years later also did a Happy Days musical that you know was very very successful. But it was fun when Henry and I went to London. It was just again this is '99 and the show had been off the air for quite a while. But it was so funny seeing people's reactions to um, when they saw Henry. Um, you know they just went couldn't believe it was Henry and um, so yeah it was a lot a lot of fun. And then um, we did a Happy Days 30th uh, anniversary re- reunion in, God, 2005, and Henry was one of the producers on that and hired me to write and produce those. So we had a softball game in that episode, and it came in seventh in the ratings for the week, so that was ah. that was fun. Yeah. Well, it's, it's relationships, but you also deliver the goods. So, you know, I mean, there's the other side to it, you know, it's, it's the skill component, the talent ability, and, you know, and you're known for your work, you know, as well, well as being a good guy, you know. Oh, well, thanks. Well, um, well, this is, this is fantastic. I will say this, uh, you know, and it's, it's weird because I used to see Tom Hanks, you know, on Bosom Buddies on the set over there and, and around town. And I never, uh, ever would. I mean, Henry, you could go, okay, he, beca- he he launched like out of the cannon with Happy Days. Tom Hanks, I mean, uh, you know, until Philadelphia, I mean, I didn't, I just, I never would have thought that Tom Hanks would be the power broker that Tom Hanks became. And uh, mm-hmm. how cool it is. I mean, I didn't, I didn't know Tom Hanks, you know, in any, in any significant way or anything. But, you know, it just seems like, you know, I, I can't say he's not deserving of every accolade. You know, he seems, he's, you know seems like a lovely man and in and it at is. the same time at the same you know a thoughtful man and at the same time a remarkable talent true oh incredible yeah but i yeah, he was not one yeah. i would if you had asked me i would have been one of those people who made the wrong choice if you said tom hanks or i said well not tom hanks 
And obviously, right. that would be absolutely incorrect. So well, you know, but you're right. It's just, it's so hard to know, you know, who's going to take off, who isn't. And as we know, it's so subjective. Because, you know, you and I can go to a movie and I could love it and you could hate it or vice versa. And Right. Um, so it's, you know, everyone has different, different tastes and there's really no right or wrong. But it's, um, it's yeah, it's hard. It, it really, you know, it's funny. Sometimes executives are, you know, uh, ridiculed for like, for example, passing on American graffiti or passing on a movie, right. but it's it's so hard hard to know what's you know what's going to work, and you know you just you make a decision, and you know you hear of a lot of big actors turning down incredible parts, but you just you know you never know. No, I I can't I can't uh, you know I I can't fathom. I mean. I think you know what what it does it speaks to me what what you just said is that you know you pursue your dream you know and if you don't become you know the next biggest thing um a friend of mine said to me we were sitting on a bench one time you know somewhere in Hollywood and he said I don't want to be a big star I just want to be a character actor who works all the time oh, and I thought well yes. I thought well, but I didn't think at the time, I thought, why would you say that? Why would you want to be, you know, second fiddle? Why would you want to? He said, because we, you know, and same thing with extras. Extras work more than actors <laughs> and, and crew yeah. works more than actors. I mean, you know, I could, I could tomorrow get a job, you know, once a year or a day here or a week there or get lucky. But the point mm-hmm. being is, is that, you know, so, so many people put this notion that I have to be the number one superstar in the world. And right. guess what? If you're working, like as a character actor constantly, or you're working as an extra constantly, you're in the business. I turned to somebody in 1974, I think I was 18 years old. And I turned to somebody who was 19. I turned to someone and they said, well, don't you, they were doing hair and makeup. And they said, don't you think we wanted to be actors or whatever? And I said, oh, you did? And they said, well, we wanted, yeah, but we couldn't make it. We couldn't get arrested. So this is how we stayed in the business and we love it. You know, we, we, we love oh. what we're doing. True. Well, yeah, as I mentioned earlier, every every job is important, and I think I think if one can make a living acting or writing or whatever, that's a huge that's a, to me a, a huge success. I mean, because you're doing something, you know, doing something you love, um, and it's, it doesn't matter you know what what aspect of entertainment. It's just as I said, every job is very important. It's it's it's, it's a you know a team effort. Um, and every, everyone's, you know, valuable. Absolutely. Well, let's, let's, this is, this, I'm enjoying this very much. Let's turn our attention to what we said we were talking about. And that was, uh, the Robin Williams coming on the show. Oh boy. Yeah. That was something I'll never forget. Um, and it's, it's interesting. Um, I think all of us who were there, um, you know, might have you know, different, detailed recollection so you know what i'm about to talk about is what what as i remember it um uh we're in the writer's room and gary marshall walks in and says my son scotty you know just doesn't watch happy days anymore and i asked him what would make him tune in and scotty says aliens you know i think it'd be cool to see some aliens so gary said um you know work on a Kind of work on an alien idea, and then you know left left the office, you know the writers' room. So we started, you know, pitching different stories. Uh, came up with you know the Mork from Mork episode, where obviously Robin's an alien, um, and 
there's just, I think, so many interesting facets. Um, we, I wasn't, at the time I wasn't producing, or I didn't go to the casting sessions, but uh, an actor was hired to play the part of Mork. Uh, we read the script Monday morning, you know, got a good response. The actors left for the day, you know, that Monday to rehearse. And as I recall, the actor playing Mork at the end of the day said something like, I, I, I just really don't want to do this, which was, I think, shocking because, you know, an actor wants to work. This is a you know, right. number one show. So all of a sudden, you know, we're shooting Friday night. So, you know, there's kind of a panic. We've got to get, I wouldn't say a panic, but obviously I have to replace that actor right away, you know, as soon as possible. So Ronnie Helen, um, Gary's sister, you know, along with Penny, and some of, I'm, some of the audience, I'm sure, has heard some of this story. But anyway, Ronnie suggested Robin because she had seen Robin as a street performer. Some people say it was Hollywood Boulevard. I thought it might have been the Third Street Promenade. So Gary said, wait a second, you're recommending someone that's a street performer and people put money in a hat. Ronnie said something like, well, it was a big hat, or you should have seen the size of a hat. So Robin's <laughs> hired. And then, as I mentioned, we'd have our run-through on Wednesdays, which was the first time we saw the episode on its feet. So, you know, the writers and producers are there, the network and student executive. So Robin comes out. And as you had mentioned earlier, if a guest star, you know, changes a line or ad-libs, you know, it's it's irritating, and you say, well, you know, don't do that. But Robin was being Robin, and it, I, as I said, I'll never forget that day. People were totally incredulous, like, who who is this guy? And then <laughs> when we shot the episode Friday night, people went nuts. And then um, then Robin did you know one other episode, and then, as I recall, I think in. Gary Mar one of Gary Marshall's books. Um, apparently, Michael Eisner, who was head of ABC at the time, called Gary and said, um, "I hear this guy is very good." And then, um, as I mentioned, my friend Lee Margulies at the time was writing for the Times in the calendar section, and we had this pickup softball game, and it was a night where ABC announced their fall lineup, and. I asked Lee what was picked up, and he, you know, he mentioned some shows, and he said, and Mark and Mindy, and I'm thinking, Mark and Mindy, there was never a pilot for Mark and Mindy. Um, so what Gary Marshall did is Pam Dauber had done a pilot for Paramount called Sister Teresa, where she played a nun, and it wasn't picked up. And when Michael Eisner called Gary and talked about you know Robin, Gary just put Pam and Robin together, and that's how Mark and Mindy started. Wow. Wow. Truly amazing. Um, yeah, and then Pam, Pam, you know, with Rob, you know, with Rob and um, Adlib, I mean, some people think he Adlib the whole thing, but, you know, he'd stick to the script once in a while, but he just, he added such incredible stuff. But I always respected Pam because, you know, his actors, you know, you feed off the other's lines, and then when someone's finished, you, but, you know, with Rob and you never knew really, you know, when he would, but just, just so, you know, so funny and inventive. And um, I was doing a work committee warm up once. Um, 
and you know got huge laughs and then I look behind me and Robin's there and I'm thinking I don't think I'm getting the laugh but he was just a, a great great person as well as very funny and very tragic what happened oh god yeah very tragic um but you know you you raise a really interesting point you know um you know, like Abbott and Costello or, you know, any good comedy duo, you know, the straight man plays a really, really, really important part in right. in the delivery of the comedy. And and Pam Dauber, you know, a lesser or more fragile ego oh. could have, you know, been, you know, made the show a nightmare. But but to 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 let Robin rift or do whatever he did and be supportive of it, know her you know, know how to, you know, go with it is, is quite to her credit. Yeah. Yeah. It was the same with Ron Howard, you know, when Henry took off and the right. rest of the cast. Um, and I think Ron, I think, and happy it was, you know, underrated because he was, very, you know, really strong. And, you know, Ron could have said, hey, this is, you know, this is terrible. I'm not going to do it or whatever. Right. But, you know, Ron was just so professional and, you know, they're all good, all good friends. And, um, but it's yeah, it's good they have have that you know very professional. I asked Ron's father once how Ron <laughs> became such a you know great person and an actor. Right. And, you know I think he started when he was a baby and you know Rance Howard you know was a very successful actor and writer. Right. And, um, you know got good advice from I think Ron did a series with Henry Fonda and you know of course Andy Griffith and always right. you know saw they were professional and. Ron followed that, that thought. Well, he is, he's truly one of the success stories of Hollywood. You know, a lot of kids have ended up, you know, really messed up or screwed up for a variety of reasons. And for for he and his family to, to you know, and there are many others, but, I mean, he, he really, you know, has the reputation of being a really nice guy and, and, and someone that people love to work with and love to work yeah. for. And, yeah, he def- and, definitely is. Yeah, I mean, it seems that, that, you know, how fortunate to be put together, you know, you and cast and crew, um, you know, in an environment like that, you know, um, to, to have those experiences and to, to make those friendships uh, is, is truly, you know, a marvelous and wonderful thing. Oh, yeah, you, it is. Um, and I guess the other thing that's that's interesting is, you know, most of us, going back to Robin Williams and his audition, uh, it had to speak for Robin's belief in Robin's ability because I think most, I, mean, I can only speak for myself, but I'm going to make it as if I'm speaking for everybody. Um, uh-huh. <laughs> you know, and I have no clue. I think most of us, we go to an audition, we, we, we are afraid if we change the line, you know, if we do too much improv or if we do something. And I mean, even today, you know, casting directors, no, 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 you know, if you've got something, add it, you know, do it, be, be brave enough to, to do it. But mm-hmm. I think there's, there's a certain amount of, am I reading for the writer? Am I reading, you know, it's one thing if you're reading for the, sh- oh. the showrunner, the writer, the producer versus somebody who's, you know, directing and has not, no say in the script. Right. Oh, it's such a tough process. Also, it's, interesting is maybe one bit of advice sometimes when um you know we'd like an actor and call he or she back they would at times do a totally different reading than before which sometimes is hard to understand because the reason they were brought back is we liked you know the way they 
they did it in the first audition, and all of a sudden they're, you know, changing it. So I would, you know, um, suggest that if an actor gets a call back, you know, to kind of do the same thing. I mean, you know, there are exceptions, but um, it's. Um, but no, you. I mean, you're speaking. You're speaking truth here. I. Uh, it t- it's taken me 30 years to learn that. I and uh, and I attribute it to um, the change in in because of. Back when you were doing Happy Days and I was, you know, a young actor, there were acting workshops and all of the acting workshops that I went to, with the exception of one, but I, and I went to many big, big name mm-hmm. actor coaches and all that. It was all about, you know, you want to be an Academy Award winning actor. You know, you have to be the best actor. You have to, you know, and so get into your pain and into, be, be raw and, you know, all, um, and while that was good, and I, and I don't say don't be a good actor. We all know people have careers who, aren't really that good of an actor and then they're really good actors that don't have careers and what what changed i think after like 2000 because i and it may have changed before that but was that the when casting directors started doing workshops and saying you know i cast for this show i cast for that show i cast for this network i cast for that here's what we want to see and you know i had a casting director say that to me they go you know you know people come in and they change it don't change it you're called in for the performance that you did and and i was like oh okay because i never know you know i mean i have no clue why anybody does so so the the i've i have maintained since then become the best actor you can but learn the business of auditioning you know know how to go into a room know how to I, I got in a room full of a bunch of bigwigs for a network show and told them I didn't want to do it. And I had, I had no, no reason to do it. And the, and the casting director, who's a big name casting director, said, Julie, you're never going to work in this town. <laughs> oh, <laughs> you know, wow. we, we brought you in for this. And I because when they, when they brought me, I, I mean, I was just being stupid, but, uh, but yeah. But no, I mean, there's just so many learning experiences that, you know, you know, learn from. So, but yeah, I'm sorry. Continue. No, I'm just saying they, you know, it was a, it was a, for the network. I had all these people there to to meet me for a part in this in the series, which and the series didn't last long, so it wasn't. I mean, you know, but but I alienated this casting director who up until that point was a fan of mine, trying to get me, you know, work. Oh. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and because because I didn't talk to take him aside or do it, you know, I just said in front of everybody, I said, hey, "This is wrong. I'm not going to do this." Um, oh, yeah, interesting. Just, so I was stupid. Yeah, yeah I was stupid. Yeah, I've, I've worked with a casting director named Tony Sepulveda, who's vice president of TV casting at uh, Warner Brothers, and he's, you know, a very good casting director, and, you know, that's obviously very important. He, and he, he started a lot of, you know, a lot of careers, which is, you know, nice nice to see. And, you know, he championed some, like you said, some, you know, beginning actors that have gone on to do, you know, incredible work. So it's, those are nice, nice stories. Well, I never realized how important, I mean, you know, when I was young and thought that the world owed me something, you know, because I was paying my dues, um, right. I didn't realize, you know, I, I, I walked into um, Roger Corman's office one time and said, I'm here to see Roger. And they let me see him. I mean, that, that was in the study. Okay. They let you do that. You know, well, that's, well but, first of all, I'm proud of you for doing that. I, I could never do those kind of things. That's great. Well, you said you said I think in our other segment you did, or maybe privately you said I don't know how people got on the Paramount lot. I used to go through the the workers' gate. I carried a clipboard and I would just walk through, and somebody would say, "Where are you going?" I say, "I'm going to where things are rotten." 
you know, or I'm going to this, or I'm going to that, and I just keep going. And nobody ever, ever stopped me. The only person who ever stopped me was a producer at Universal when I did that. I, I was on Universal all the time. And uh, I went to the set of uh, May West's final movie, um, whatever oh, it was called. Right, I can't remember. Sextet, Sextet. Oh, right. And I was, there to, I was there to pick up a friend, and I knew Dom DeLuise, and I knew some of the people. And, I, and I, so I walked inside the soundstage. It was a closed set, and they said, who are you here to see? And I, and I named the producer and said, I'm here to see this producer. And they went, really? And I said, yes, I am. <laughs> and they go, and who are you? And I said, it doesn't matter who I am. You, know, you just go, 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 go find the producer. I've got things. And it turned out I was talking to the producer. And, uh, and he said, well, I am that person, and, and the door is right there. And I said, oh, yeah, just say no more. And I went out, and I sat outside for <laughs> two or three hours waiting for my friend to come out. You know, but, but otherwise, nobody – I'd never, I'd never been caught, never anything. You know, that's, and now, that, well, you know I, wish, I wish I had had well, – I guess I didn't do that because I didn't know, you know what I was going to do. But I, you hear stories like that, and that's – I wish I had had that, that gumption because – you know, and then like Steve Gutenberg and Spielberg did that. I think, oh, I know. Right? Just kind of set up an office, which is yeah. Which is no, I wish great. I had done the Spielberg thing. Uh, the difference between Spielberg and me is I got on the lot and then tried not to get caught. And apparently, according to the story, Spielberg got on the lot and said, "Hire me." You know, I mean, he was right. <laughs> right. <laughs> I was like, I was like, oh, I hope they don't find me out. But the only lot I had trouble getting onto was Culver City. Otherwise, any twenty, it didn't matter what what studio it was, but Culver City was a tough one. And um, and uh, uh, today, I'm sure after nine eleven, everything is different. You know, I mean, it's not it's right. not likely. Yeah, it's tougher. So it's not um, it's not right. Well, we, you know, our friend Peter Foldy. I don't know if you ever told the yeah. story. He he was he was calling a production company and he got the wrong number. It happened to be another production company. He went in and he sold his movie. I mean, marvelous. They, that's just, so you, you know, boy, you just never know. You know, you just get out there and you hustle, and some amazing things can happen. Absolutely, absolutely. Now we have about twenty minutes left on the outside, and I want to make sure that we, you know, talk about some of the things that you absolutely would like to talk about. Um, you know, and I, and you also write music. I mean, you also do you do many different things. So I I want to make sure that we we and I, I'm loving this, and I, I want to have you back on the show because there's so many incredible tales and stories and and insights that you're sharing. Um, well, but thank I, you. I, I want well, oh, my pleasure. You, thank you. Uh, but my my concern is to make sure that, that, that there's some topic areas that you might want to discuss that I haven't thought to ask a question about. Oh. Well, I appreciate it. Yeah, I'd like to mention uh, two um, very nice experiences. Uh, the first, when I was going to um, UC Santa Barbara, I read a, this is like 66, 67-ish, uh, not to give away my age. Um, I read an editorial in Life magazine by Ray Bradbury, which I'm sure a lot of the audience knows. For those that don't, incredible um, known as a science fiction writer, wrote Fahrenheit 451, Martian Chronicles, etc. And about years later, um, this oh, he had won a um, big award from NASA, and it was his acceptance speech. And it just stayed with me for so many years, and maybe, gosh, 10 years ago or so, um, I found out who Mr. Bradbury's agent was, that uh, letter saying um, 
you know, I saw this article. I think it would make a great children's book. Uh, didn't hear back for about two months. Then I got a letter from the email from the agent saying, "Oh, Mr. Fox, I'm sorry, I lost your letter, but I'll get it to, to Mr. Bradbury." About three weeks later, the phone rings and it's Ray Bradbury, and I, you know, was shocked. Wow. And he said, "Is this Mr. Fox?" And I said, "Yes." He said, oh, "I think you have a good idea. Let's go for it." So um, met with Mr. Bradbury five times at his house. Um, and a friend of mine named Peter Michaels that directed Family Guy and Simpsons did the illustrations for the children's book. But he, Mr. Bradbury was just just an amazing, passionate man. Um, unfortunately, he passed away before we could uh, get it published. Um, wow. It's, it's Mr. Bradbury's birthday, August 22nd, and I, I should have sooner, but I'd like to get it published, you know, in his honor. And then another uh, fun experience was um, a friend of mine named Jack Stein, who, um, I don't know if you remember Susan Anton, he managed Susan Anton, and I'd written some of stuff for when she was opening for Sammy Davis Jr. in Las Vegas. Um, um, you know, sometimes how we all get typecast in the business, you know, if you do one thing, you know, if you do comedy, you can't do drama, et cetera. So um, the Sherman Brothers at one you know, the Academy Award for Mary Poppins had a big association with Disney. Years ago, just wanted to write some songs, just write some songs, no intention of being a musical. But um, uh, Jack, a friend of theirs named Andy Billing, thought it would make a good musical, so they hired a writer. Apparently, you know, they weren't happy with the script and just kind of died, and then Jack got the rights to it and asked if I'd read it. So I read it and did a rewrite um, so I worked with Richard Sherman, um, who reminded me of Mr. Bradbury, just, you know, again, a wonderful person, very passionate, you know, both so talented. Um, so God, that was like 2005 or six, and it was supposed to open on Broadway this September. I was supposed to go back to New York for casting in April, but with the virus, everything was shut down. So, you know, even if nothing happens, just the experience of working with, um, you know, with, uh, Richard Sherman and, and Ray Bradbury was, you know, an incredible experience. Wow. I mean, that is, that, that is so cool. That is the one thing, if you're in this business, that is truly amazing. You can meet people who you have admired or known of or had hoped you could meet. And sometimes they're really cool. Sometimes they're not. But, it, 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 right. it, you know. I suppose you could do that in politics and banking and everything else, but it just seems so, uh, you know, fascinating. I mean, you know, in, in living in Los Angeles, I, you know, running into celebrities at the gas station and you know, right. wherever. Sure. I mean, because people live their lives, you know. I mean, it's just, it's truly an amazing thing. What, a, what an incredible experience, though. To, oh, it was, and I mean, so like, like you said, if you, you know, you finally meet you know, someone's work you respect. And if it turns out, you know, they're not a good person, that's said I was very lucky. Years, years ago I was at a restaurant um, and had a date and we were talking. All of a sudden she just kind of froze. I said, are you okay? And she kind of pointed. And it was um, Gregory Peck and his oh, wife okay. having, having dinner with another couple. And it turned out the couple was um, – the gentleman I went to actually grammar school with, Robert Finkelstein, who I guess was wow. representing um, Mr. Peck. So I went over the table, 
and to kill, to kill a mockingbird is my favorite movie and um mr peck could, just couldn't have been nicer so i that was that was lucky and then i was for and i'm you know been in the business i'm not exactly awestruck but um had the opportunity to meet audrey hepburn once and oh wow was, as you can imagine just incredible so I, I have. I'm going to give you two contrasting quick stories, and they're Schwab stories. And oh. and but I grew up watching you reruns of the Bowery Boys and the Marx Brothers and everybody else. And I loved Slip and Satch and Hunts Hall and Leo Grissom. Uh-huh. One day I'm at, uh, one day and I'm at Schwab's, and I'm I had had breakfast and I get ready to leave and I start to walk out and somebody said something to me and I turn to look back into the dining room, and I'm standing. I don't know if you, obviously you know Schwab's. Remember the layout of Schwab's? Yeah. You know, where there were a couple of two-seaters by the coffee service thing. And I'm standing right in front of that, but my back is to the two-seaters. And I turn around, and there's Hunts Hall by himself. And I went, oh, my God, Hunts Hall. And he looked up and said, hey, kid. And I said, oh, my God, you've heard this a hundred times, but I am like your biggest fan. He said, sit down. And we became friends. Oh, that's great. He was in Florida. He would drive in from Florida to visit family. He had this big old I think, gold Cadillac, you know, or Lincoln, you know, and uh, and so whenever he was in town, we would get together for breakfast and and hang out, and, so, and I, I was like, God, I can't believe I'm hanging out with Hunts Hall, you know, Satch <laughs> and the Bowery Boys. And um, another day, That's I did great. something very, and he was so wonderful. And another day, one of my favorite actors in one of the movies I thought got so mis overlooked was uh, the American Theater's version of Man in a Glass Booth, and it was Maximilian oh, uh-huh. Schell. And oh, I, I was, con- huh? No, oh, and I was, I was convinced he should have won the Academy Award over Nicholson back in when that was up. I just was, I was uh, such a, yeah. well, I was just such performance. a It was, and I was such a huge fan. And I turned around, same kind of thing, but in a different. He was actually over by the opposite coffee service by the window, and I and I saw him, and I went, oh my god, Mr. Shell, and I got completely tongue tied. I was like, I, 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 and he just looked up at me like, <laughs> take a deep breath, you know, and I'm like, and I'm just like going, oh, I, I, uh, um, oh, uh, oh, good to see you. Take care. And I walked out of there. <laughs> I think I had to pick up the total lunatic. But, well, those uh, moments are great. I uh, did a show that Brian Levant and I created uh, called My Secret Identity. We shot it in Toronto. And I think the first time I was flying up there, I'm in the first class lounge because they were paying for it, which was very nice. And a steward comes up to me and goes, are you Mr. Fox? I said, yes. And he goes, well, uh, Mr. Brando would like to trade seats oh. with you. And it was Marlon Brando. And I said, well, who does, who does he think he is? But I said, <laughs> I didn't really say that. I said, of course. And it was, he was, I don't know if you remember a movie called The Freshman. Yes, yes. With, with uh, you know, Maximilian Schell and you know, Kirby and Matthew Broderick. Right? So, um, we, you know, kind of flew up, not together, but I just remember Mr. Brando being, you know, very nice, you know, nice to everybody. And they were, we were both playing, uh, staying at the uh, hotel called the Sutton Place, and um, Maximilian Shell was staying there, and Michael Moriarty for another project. And oh, wow. it was just, you know, interesting. And one time I pushed the elevator button, the door opens, and it's Marlon Brando and his companion, <laughs> and it was just, just kind of, kind of, you know, surreal. It truly is. I mean, that's that's the thing. I got on the I got on the elevator in, in, in a building, Sunset and Vine, in the mid seventies, 
with a stymie from our gang. Oh, oh wow. And he, you know, he looked like stymie. He had the derby. He dressed, you know, like the, the character. So obviously as an older man, you could, and I was just like, Oh my goodness. You know? Uh, and I knew, yeah. and I knew, I knew one of the other guys. Now I can't think of his name. Jeez. Um, oh, 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 shoot. Um, Gabe, um, the later addition to the Bowery Boys, but Gabe, uh, oh. he was in Earthquake. Um, oh yeah, Gabe Dell, Gabriel Dell, Gabriel Dell. Oh, right. But, but so you know, but anyway, uh, I don't know why Gabe Dell came up with Stymie, but it, that uh, no, but it, it does make it magical. I, I wanted to ask you, and it's especially because we had mentioned this before, we've you know, sadly Fred Willard and and um, Ken Osborne. Ken Oz, and I wanted to mention the uh, Leave It to Beaver, the the the, uh, the 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 new Leave It to Beaver. Right. Oh yeah, that was um, that was a funny. That was great Brian to watch. Levant. Oh, thanks. I'm glad to like. Yeah, I thought it was it was a good show. Brian Levant um, brought it back. Brian went on to direct um, the Flintstones, Jingle All the Way, Snow Dogs, a lot of stuff. And Brian, you know, yeah. loved Leave It to Beaver and brought it back and. Yeah, working with the cast was just, you know, just a fun, wonderful experience. Um, you know, still talk to Tony down once in a while and Jerry. And Ken, Ken, a great, great, funny guy. And, you know, his character was just, you know, so great. Um, and then I'd work with um, Fred Willard, did two Family Matters, and just such a funny, nice guy. And it, interesting, um, last September was the 100th anniversary party of um, Musso Frank's. And Mary yeah. and Ross um, asked me to go, and Mary and I sat at a uh, table for four, and um, we sat with Fred and his daughter, which was, you know, which was a lot of fun. So just, yeah, very sad losses with Fred and Ken. Oh my gosh, yeah. Well, what I, what I, and what Bruce and Frank's just lost. Um, was I was it Scotty with the bartender? The oh, the bartender. Yeah, after so many years. Yeah, that was sad. Um, I mean, you know, so, so I mean, a lot of those people are still there. You know, have worked there for fifty years or sixty years. Yeah. Or something. Um, you know, a quick. I'm, I'm sorry. A quick Musso Frank story. Um, yeah. Jerry Paris, you know, was the director on. Um, oh wow. Happy right. Days for Years, and you know, he was on the Dick Van Dyke show. He played the neighbor. He was right. in the movie The Wild. Wild one with um, Marlon Brando and then Naked the Dead, where he played both parts. And so sometimes Jerry would direct off off camera. We went. Jerry was very nice and took some of the writers out to Musso Frank's once. And this is when I was just starting. And Jerry's at one end of the table. I'm at the other. And it's time for me to take my order. And I ordered some like pot roast or something. And I hear a voice at the end very loudly say, "What?" What did the new guy order? I said, well, Mr. Paris, I had pot right, pot roast. And he said, oh, man, the new guy doesn't know how to order. Bring him the flannel pancakes. So Jerry was <laughs> quite, quite a character. Wow. Wow. That's, and he directed a lot of – didn't he direct a number of the uh, Dick Van Dyke shows too, wasn't he? Yeah, yeah right, right. And then he also directed some of the uh, – I think a couple of Police Academy movies and – Directed a movie called The Grasshopper that um, Jerry Belson and Gary Marshall wrote with um, Jacqueline Bissett. and um, yeah, he had quite quite a career. Jack, 
Now, I'll give you another faux pas story. Jacqueline Bissett was a good, good friend of one of my acting coaches, a woman named Lillian Chauvin. And Lillian uh-huh. and I had a relationship for 10 years as a student. I, I also worked for teaching her acting classes for kids and at USC and different things. But we remained friends until her death in the 90s. And uh, uh-huh. you know, she, she would write and ask how my kids are. And when I'd go to uh, come back to L.A., you know, uh, we'd, we'd get together and everything. But Jacqueline Bissett, this was 1974, 75. Jackie was a good, good friend of Lillian. And one day the phone rings and uh, I, I go out in the other room and I answer the phone. And she says, Lillian, you know, can I speak with Lillian? And I said, who's calling? She goes, Jacqueline Bissett. And I go, well, pull the other one. And I hung up on her. And <laughs> not thinking, <laughs> the phone rings back. And I, and I go, what? She goes, Jackie Bissett for Lillian. I say, oh, come on. And I hang up and I go in the other room and I say, Lillian, uh, this woman calls, says she's Jacqueline Bissett. She's, oh, Jackie. Oh, my God. Yes. no, she's <laughs> I'm like, I've just hung up on her twice, you know. Well, I got to meet her, you know, not too long after that. And, oh, and she would come to the workshops and different things and be with Lillian. But, I mean, she's very gracious and didn't consider me oh, too much of a bozo. But, no, no. Uh, hey, that can happen. That's funny. But uh, but the uh, the Leave It to Beaver. What I really liked about that was that they didn't recast it and do the kids, you know, and they have you know have Beaver, you know. I mean, they 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 brought these characters back as as themselves at an old age, which uh, older age. Right, right. Yeah, that was. I like that that aspect of it. It was, as I said, a lot of fun working with them, and you know, I watched Leave It to Beaver as a kid, so it was fun to fun to be a part of it. Oh, I, I, absolutely. Well, let me ask you about your music because I don't know that we've we've you know you've written songs. That's cool. What what do you what kind of music? How do you, oh, what do you like? Well, to unfortunately, um, I just wrote wrote the lyrics. I have no musical talent. Um, when I played the rock star on Happy Days, I went into pre-record, and they said what key. I had no idea. I, said, I started singing, and like a technician looked up, like, "Oh my God, what is that?" <laughs> but the only reason I mentioned it, you know. A lot of people and us think, oh, you know, we can do a lot of things. But, boy, it really um, – fortunately, I wasn't supposed to sing, you know, real well. Um, and I sang on Leave it to Beaver. But it was a great experience because it made me – I mean, I always appreciated musical talent. But I, I – especially after that, I thought, wow, how do, how do people do this and write such incredible songs? It's truly, truly, truly uh, amazing art. I uh... – I'm more often in awe than as anything else because um, I really can't do much of anything when it comes down yeah, to well, it. Yeah, I have no talent in that area, but it, it's fun. So we've got about seven minutes left, and um, in, in the last seven minutes, I guess, let's. do you, you want to kind of, I mean, you've shared so many cool ideas and, and notions, but as we as we bring this episode to a close, anything, any last um story or parting advice you'd like to to share oh thanks i i guess i sometimes i'm sorry you know because i want to try to help people that are trying to you know get in the business right interacting and um i wish i could give you know uh advice that would pay off but again just like to reiterate if you want to be a writer you know what you out there have always heard just just write and it's sometimes very painful um there are other writers' quotes that I can't mention that how tough it is facing that blank page. But, um, you know, just if you want to be a writer and you're facing that, just just 
just start writing um, because obviously you can always go over it and often hear the expression writing is rewriting. You know, there are times where, you know, writers would get paid a million dollars for their spec script and then they would bring in other writers to rewrite. You know, there's stories of scripts to be written, you know, 20 times, 30 times. So just, you know, it's important to just get started and just write and write um, and rewrite. And as I said, sometimes, you know, maybe give yourself a, you know, maybe not a firm deadline, but at least a first deadline, because what's tough is what, when is that final point where you feel your script is the best it can be and and ready to turn in? Uh, Again, this sounds like simple advice, but make sure it's the right, right format, the right amount of pages, um, and then, yeah, and, you know, for everybody, just, you know, never give up. And that, you know, it's so easy to say, and there, there are times where you just think, oh, this is, you know, this is crazy. And, you know, there's age discrimination, and but you just, you know, it's your passion and just, you know, keep going for it. Um, and then as an actor, you know, I think it's smart if you can do theater and take workshops, you know, like you did. And, again, you know, if I hadn't taken that um, – UCLA Extension writing class, which, you know, I learned stuff to, to meet Gary Shanley. And I was very sorry that I never worked on Gary's shows, but I was, you know, working at the time. And Gary and I were very close and then kind of, you know, lost track, but just, you know, great, talented guy. And that, Gary's an example of how hard and the dues he paid, you know, he'd get on at clubs. Um, I remember saying to Gary, um, man, you, sh- you should get on the Carson show. You'd, you'd, you know, you'd kill and he said, well, you know, thanks, Fred, but I I just want to be ready if I ever get that opportunity. And, you know, he'd get on at the improv with, you know, 10 minutes left in front of some drunks. But he just, you know, really, really worked hard and obviously paid off. So, um, yeah. you know, you have a dream and, it, you know, it's, it could be a tough business, but there's a lot of, you know, wonderful success stories that, um, you know, someone, as I said earlier, will be – working and struggling for, you know, years and all of a sudden, bam, you know, hit it. So it's, you know, just keep, you know, keep going. That's awesome advice. I, I think, I think the other thing that I, you know, I, um, I, because, because of the, some of the things that I shared today, you know, that I did, the kind of stupid things that I did, you know, if you can work on yourself <laughs> in the meantime, so that if that break does come, yeah, you better better know how to negotiate, you know, and and navigate, you know, the the turn. You and I were talking about money heist, and one of the things about the documentaries was that that when you get to see that, and I'm, there's spoilers in it, so, um, but they talk about how when they when they came back to start shooting, suddenly there'd be you know four, eight, ten thousand people around the set, and they'd have wow. to, sometimes they couldn't even shoot because their popularity. They became these overnight instant sensations. They needed bodyguards and, you know, all sorts of stuff. And, you know, but if they went to say hi to anybody, these people would converge. And the next thing wow. they know, they couldn't shoot anymore during the day because they couldn't clear the people out, you know, of the location. So, um, you know, that's, you that's know. incredible. That happened to me a lot. I'm just kidding. Obviously, no one <laughs> rushes it. But that, no, that, as we were talking earlier, for those that haven't seen it, um, don't want to overhype it, but I think as a writer, actor, director, producer, um, Definitely something to watch. It's, a, I think, a great show. Yeah, so, and, I, and, I, and I would agree. It, it seems to have all the right dramatic moment elements and stuff. Um, 
but the other side to that is 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 to not be a jerk, you know. To to, <laughs> and I'm not saying anybody right. is other than my other than me. I mean, I'm trying to point out that, you know, I, I learned the hard way. So uh, if I could spare anybody that, you know, be nice, be kind, <laughs> be gentle, add value. <laughs> you know, yeah, get along. No, it, it, yeah, it means it means a lot because if, um, you know, a lot of the jobs I got weren't you know through my agent. It's people I'd worked with before, like. Bickley Warren, you know, we worked together on Happy Days, then worked together on Family Matters. They did a pilot that was shot in Edmonton, Canada, and they went up to work on that. So it's just, you know, the relationships you make are just so, you know, wonderful. And that's, you know, that's part of the the joys of, you know, working. You just make some work with incredibly talented people and, you know, that you stay friends with for quite a while. And and I, I would uh, yes no I uh, for my in my case also work to stay in touch because uh, Hollywood is so spread out you get you know you get I'd be in like I you know for like five years I'd be in Beverly Hills another five years I'd be at the beach another five years I'd be somewhere else <laughs> and and you know or I'd be working this thing or doing that thing and and I would suddenly turn around and go whatever became of so and so you know I haven't heard from them in two or three or four years or something and I'd realize it was right. me I had I had changed I had moved on to go somewhere. You know, as opposed to them, it was you know. I, so, um, preserve the relationships huh. that you have. Yeah. Yeah. No. Definitely. It's yeah. You know, just smart to, you know, just call and you know check in and see how everybody's doing. It's, you know, especially with what's going on now. You know, you just want to see how everyone's doing, and you know, and it's hard. Yeah. Sometimes we all get caught up into what we're doing, and you know, forget to keep up with friends. But it's you know, it's good to call and you know, every once in a while and see how how they're doing. Fred, you have been uh, an absolutely fascinating guest. I'm so glad that we got to do this today. There's actually two episodes. One's about 20 minutes long, and then there's this one, um, just so you know if you haven't discovered the other one yet. Um, And what I would ask that you do is uh, share these uh, discussions that you have, the one like with Fred, um, anywhere and everywhere for your filmmaker friends and fans and and uh, leave comments wherever you find these discussions at social media. You know, if it's on Facebook, you know, comment. If it's on blog talk, comment, um, because that always helps get the word out, especially if you're, you know, a huge fan of these shows and Fred's work. You know, please help us spread it far and near and far. Um, Fred, we're going to say um, thank you so much. I'll, I'll be talking to you a little bit. I'd love to do another show with you in, in the future. And, and oh. just really thank you. This has been fascinating. Oh, no. really thank you. I really appreciate the opportunity. And for those who are listening, um, I hope I didn't drag on and on and on. But um, thanks. Thanks for tuning in. And good luck with no, you. I wish you all great success. That's awesome. And uh, and so thank you. And um, I'll, say, I'll say so long. And um, and uh, you're listening to Rex Sykes Movie Beat. Again, the uh, RexSykes.com is the legacy site, R-E-X-S-I-K-E-S.com, where there's uh, over four or 500 hours worth of uh, discussions just like this one uh, that you can go back. BlogTalkRadio.com, or if you search Rex Sykes Movie Beat, uh, you know, on the Internet, you'll find the shows. Um, this is with Fred Fox Jr., uh, an amazing, a, a fascinating, talented man. Uh, I'm so glad we got to talk as we did. Um, so come back to Movie Beat. Whenever you see these discussions on Facebook or LinkedIn or Twitter, please share them, spread them forward for others so that they too can benefit. If you enjoyed them, uh, help me help others to benefit, to benefit and enjoy them as well. Again, I'll remind you that my book, Life on Your Terms, Live the Life You Want, 
is available at Amazon. You can go and search that. It's my name, Rex Sykes. Rex Steven Sykes, my middle name. And thank you for being a listener. Thanks for proposing um, guests to me and sharing sharing and, and listening and being a fan all throughout all these years. Um, as far as Movie Beat goes, I, I'm very proud to to uh, have you as listeners. Thank you so much. And today, that's a wrap. Ten seconds.